We're going to talk about that today. Thank you guys so much. You can be seated and we'll uh, get into the Word. I'm just so honored to be with you. As, as Pastor Bert said, um, you know, you think about it in your own life. You know, you, in, in, in where you have colleagues in your field, you have, you know, you have friends or you have people, you have acquaintances, you have people you work with. But very seldom do you go deeper for a long time, like, like for a lifetime of friendship. And what God has given us with uh, the Wimberley family is something that I would say in 26 years of ministry for me, we have found with maybe five people or five, five couples in our whole life that mean to us what they mean to us. And so we don't count it, uh, uh, we don't take that for granted. It's a divine relationship and uh, we just so appreciate the set couple of this house and what they've done to give birth to this vision, and to this building, and to this people. And I want you to give it up for your pastors today, and give them honor. I says give honor where honor is due. Uh, anybody here like pirates? Anybody like the pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, you know, arr, you know. My, my grandson is four years old. My, my wife and I have two kids. Our son is 32. He and his wife work with us. In ministry, our daughter-in-law is a registered nurse, and our uh, daughter is 29, and her husband uh, is our youth pastor, and uh, now we've got a four-year-old grandson. I'm, my wife and I, we, we married when we were eight, and, uh, and so, uh, but anyway, my grandson came to me a couple weeks ago, and he said, he said, Papa, why, why, do, uh, uh, why are pirates called pirates? I said, I don't know. He said, because they just are. And so he told that to the whole church then last week. And uh, today's message is entitled X Marks the Spot. I want to get right into the Word. Proverbs 2 is where we're going to begin. And we're going to go somewhere today that I think uh, we're going to go on a little journey today, uh, if you'll bear with me. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. Solomon writes, my son, if, everybody say if. How many know when somebody says if, that means there's something, going good, something good following, but there's a condition? He says, if you receive my words and treasure, there it is, everybody say treasure, and treasure my commands within you so you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you'll understand the awe or the fear or the respect for the living God and find the knowledge of God. Let's pray together one more time. God, open the eyes of our heart and give us a word in season that provides us illumination, illustration, that we can walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a little bit of my background. I had a very strong word background. I was born again. Listen, I was raised in church all my life. I was brought up in a Methodist church. I was christened as a baby. They broke a bottle of champagne over my head and christened me. And then, uh, and I was launched apparently. And and then, uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, as a as an eleven year old Methodist, I was confirmed. Uh, only one problem: I wasn't born again. Uh, my parents moved. Uh, the The church we attended was an hour away in Orlando, Florida, where I grew up. I grew up in Sanford, 
the city that's in all the headlines right now is my hometown. Please pray for Sanford that there's peace there. That's where I was raised. And um, we would drive from Sanford to Orlando for church until I was confirmed. And uh, my parents said, well, we, wanna, uh, we want you to be in the youth group, so we want to move closer. So we found a church in Sanford, First Presbyterian. So we became, moved from Methodist to Presbyterian. And my parents chose the church because my parents are both singers. My dad has a Ph.D. in vocal music. And so they chose the church based on who had the best choir. We visited all the churches, and they had the best choir. Uh, it didn't matter that the youth group was... Um, uh, I'll just be honest, I found more drugs in the youth group than I had uh, at school. And uh, so it was, the, it, was the, you know, it, was the, it was the happening church in town. The superintendent of schools went to our church, and the doctors went to our church, and the lawyers went to our church. And it was, it was kind of the politically correct church in town. And, um, and so I was brought up in that. And, and uh, the superintendent of schools was the head usher, and he was more concerned about my length of hair uh, in those days than he was uh, the openness of my heart. So he'd say, uh, parent chief, this is, I mean, our county super, parent chief, when are you getting a haircut, boy? You know, and I just continued to grow a little longer and a little longer until it found its way down my back. And um, in that church, my parents liked the choir, and I found a way that I could uh, slip out of Sunday school without my parents seeing and get over to the bus station and smoke cigarettes and, and play pinball during Sunday school from the time I was about 14. And then I found a job. The only way I could get out of going to church, I hated church. The only way I could get out of going to church was at 17. I found a job where I had to work on Sundays. And my parents said, well, uh, well, we don't like this, but that's okay. And it wasn't until I was 19 years old in a crossroads of my life through a series of crises that I actually found a relationship with God through Jesus. And I found that all that other stuff didn't mean much. And, and, uh, and so there was a lot of change, a lot of transition. Now, here's the problem. Everybody knew my parents. My dad was a local politician, local professor in the college. My mom was a school teacher. Uh, she knew all the teachers. I could never get it with anything at school because my mom knew all the teachers that taught me. And, uh, and so when I got born again, I looked, my wife and I looked for a church that was us. Her parents had a church. My parents had a church. And neither one of those, we weren't at home in either one of them. So um, we found a church in Ocala, Florida, 70 miles northwest where we have settled our lives, where we have our church now. And so I was discipled. My first church connection was in a in evangelical Presbyterian church, and it was word, 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 good word. I was taught uh, five-point Calvinism. I took seminary classes. Uh, I learned a lot about the word. But 1986, our pastor was, uh, was basically kicked out by the elders of the church the, in the Presbyterian denomination. They run everything, and the, the, the uh, pastor is, very, is basically powerless. So they ran my pastor out of town that was discipling me because, and they said it was heinous sin, but we can't tell you what it is. Come to find out a year later when I'm in a spiritual crisis with no mentor anymore, uh, he had offended the wealthy people in the church and the older people of the church because he allowed there to be a track, a Sandy Patty track behind a singer without the pipe organ 
And they said he's going charismatic. He's rebelling. He's gone crazy. He was a few years older than me, a young man with a young spirit, and suddenly he was gone. He's still a mentor to me these years later in Memphis, Tennessee. He just went and started his own church in Memphis, Tennessee, where he was from, and has 3,000 people today. In fact, have you seen The Blind Side, Sandra Bullock? The, the couple are elders in, my, in, in Jimmy Young's church, uh, my, my pastor's church. And so... Um, so I was brought up with a very strong word foundation, and all of a sudden through that crisis, my pastor is gone. We started visiting other churches. Through that, my wife and I started seeking God, and one night, 1986, we, uh, my wife turned on Christian television, which we were taught in the Presbyterian church was a charismatic plot to overthrow evangelical Christianity. So we didn't watch, we were, we were discouraged from watching Christian television. And my wife said, you know, let's turn this on. And all of a sudden, we never heard about the baptism in the Holy Spirit or anything like that. But we had been on a journey through the dry season and seeking more of God. And all of a sudden, we were filled with the Holy Spirit in the privacy of our own bedroom, having never heard anything about the Holy Spirit. Within a few weeks, we decided to visit a guy we saw on TV that was in Orlando, 70 miles away from us, and we, t- uh, we packed up the kids and went down to visit Benny Hinn's church. I don't know if you ever heard of Benny Hinn, but he was real well-known, uh, especially in Orlando, and has you know, been worldwide and that kind of thing. So we, my, first, uh, my second time there was a healing service, 2,500 people, and Benny Hinn comes out Let's praise the Lord. Come on, brothers. You know, and, and, he's, and, he, and he comes out and, and he says, uh, and, and he says, uh, he says um, tell, uh, tell God what it is you're believing for. Well, I didn't need a, a healing in my body, but I had struggled for years up and down. When, when I was an insurance agent and doing very well, and in those moments where my business was going well, I pushed the call of God away. On those moments where my business wasn't doing well, I'd say, okay, God, I'll serve you. I'll preach. I'll do whatever you call me to do. But, my confu- but I was confused for years whether I was really called to preach or not. My first healing service, December 1986, 2,500 people in the room. Benny Hinn calls me out of the crowd of 2,500 people. I'd never seen this before. We didn't have that going on in the Presbyterian church. And he says, brother, come up here, brother. And I saw people that were falling under the power. That To me, it was like they were expecting to fall under the power. So they just kind of, it was very, it was very, it was very, uh, I don't know. But I decided, I don't think that's real, so I'm not going down. So he calls me up and and starts speaking over my life. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to go to the nations. You're going to be a great man of God one day. And then he just, just touched my head, because I thought he was pushing people. So with, with my Presbyterian brain at that point, he just kind of just touched my forehead. And I didn't fall like the people, you know, the, the polite, oh, you know, knowing somebody was going to be back there. That's what it looked like to me. I fell on my butt. I fell like a sack of potatoes straight down, because I wasn't going to go. So I had, braced, I had braced myself. I ain't going down. And so instead, I just fell straight down on my backside, and he spoke over me things that I've been doing in life. And I say all that in, in um, introduction to say this. 
for the next season of my life, I was, I became a, a home group leader for Benny Hinn, a connect group leader. We became, we moved down to Orlando. I became a, a, a catcher. I was one of the guys caught people. That was a huge honor. And, uh, and the big honor is if you're caught as a catcher, if you're caught onto the platform, you've been promoted from being down on the floor to being on the platform. And at that point, Benny had been like, pick him up, pick him up, pick him up, brother. What are you doing? You got to know what, what the Spirit is doing. So, so half the time then, I'm, you know, I'm still coming out of Presbyterian brain, and he's going, pick him up, pick him up. The next time I go, he goes, leave him down, leave him down. Don't you see the Spirit's not working, not, not working yet. So I'm having to learn on-the-job training in front of thousands of people how to flow in the Holy Ghost. And it's out of that platform that I come to you today to talk about the anointing of God. The anointing of God is, to some people, is so elusive, so exclusive. It's, it's only the Benny Hens or the Shambachs or the, it's, it's the famous, it's the Kenneth Copelands, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the big-time guys that get the anointing. No, the anointing is the tangible manifestation of God's Spirit working through your life. And it's not just a Sunday, Wednesday thing. It's not just a church thing. The Holy Spirit is not even an it. He's a he. And the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, everything God appoints you to do in your life, He anoints you to do in your life. You are anointed wherever you're appointed. So if you uh, work on cars for a living, then let me just tell you, you can expect the Holy Spirit to flow through you in working on cars. Because everything God's anointed you for, He's appointed you for and vice versa. The anointing empowers you for serving God by serving others. And I want to talk to you today about the anatomy of a breakthrough. How, how do you break through? Listen, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. He's going from His adolescence into his ministry. He's obviously had the Holy Spirit with him. He's the child of the Holy Spirit. But there is a season where he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested and tempted. And after 40 days of fulfillment, he, the Bible says, curiously, he returned in the power of the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit into a season or a cycle of wilderness and challenge and pain. But he is empowered by the Spirit as he comes out of the season, goes to his own home church. It's his turn to read the Scriptures. And that day, in every synagogue in the world, that Saturday, that Sabbath day for them, everybody that's reading the Scripture that day stands up and reads from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and so on and so on. Now Jesus... That day, he's speaking in the first person. And then, curiously, the Bible says he closed the book after he says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. He closed the book and goes and sits down. And the Scripture doesn't say this, but historically we know that there is a, there's a chair in every synagogue in the world, even today, that is reserved for the Messiah. And we know from history, several scholars believe that Jesus, the reason why the people got mad at him immediately. It's because he went and sat down in the Messiah's chair after he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he sat down in a chair, the Bible says, and said, today, 
this scripture has come out of the book and come into the room. Everybody say today. See, religion will honor and build another statue to what God did, but will always resist what God's doing now, today. So Jesus sits down in that place and says, today, this scripture is here. And the people freak out. And the Bible says that they, they couldn't believe the authority by which he spoke. They couldn't believe the audacity. But then one genius in the back apparently says, the script, according to Luke chapter 4, says, ain't that Joseph's boy? Isn't that Joseph's boy? Wait a minute, that's a carpenter's son down the road. We saw him growing up. We saw him. And so the people say, oh yeah, that's just Joseph's boy. And Jesus stands up and says, you just missed it. You just missed the opportunity for me to take you from where you are to where God wants you to be. You just missed an opportunity to come out of your own wilderness and to go into your promised land of what God wants to do in your life. You just missed the trajectory. You just missed the transportation. You just missed being moved. You just missed being uh, taken forward in your life. And we know the Bible says in his own hometown he could do no mighty works there because he wasn't received as the Word of God, the living Word. He was received as Joseph's boy. And he, Jesus himself, he said he could only heal, uh, heal a few sick folks. But he could do no mighty works. He could do no mighty miracles because the people were so familiar with him that they didn't know that he is the living Word, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then tells them, well, you know, the doctor comes for the people that need a doctor. But people who don't think they're sick don't need anybody. And Elijah, when he came in a season of drought and famine and was wanting to bring rain again, he brought a miracle to a woman, a widow woman in Zarephath, which was a Gentile, and to only one woman was he sent. And on the first day of Jesus' ministry, when he's trying to bring breakthrough, they took him out to a cliff and tried to kill him. The first day. Pretty rough start. I mean, that's a little worse than my first day pastoring. No about yours. I had a rough day. My first day as a youth pastor was a disaster. First day as a youth pastor, I'd worked for months preparing to be a youth pastor. We were over, for, with Benny Hinn, we were over 11 to 14-year-olds, which is a challenge in anybody's military outpost. And so we, so we love 11, 14-year-olds, but right in the middle of my preaching, some 7th grade or 6th grade boy named Billy decided to pass wind and so everybody's giggling, laughing. I know they're giggling, laughing. I'm walking over, and then all of a sudden I realize I'm about to die. He has poisoned the air. And, and, I, and I said, come on, guys. Just be like an adult and pretend it didn't happen. And I went home, and I said, God, deliver me from this evil. I don't want to be a youth pastor. I want to be youthless. God proceeded to give me a whole vision for a generation. And now today, out of my original youth group, we started with none, 
They had no junior high ministry. We started it in 1988. Had 140 to 150 kids by the time we were done leaving to go pastor where we are now, start a church. And uh, I've been contacted now on Facebook by at least 10 of those kids that are in full-time ministry today. Thank God you can get past your first day. (laughs) So Jesus had a rough first day because they didn't realize what happens. And I tell you this to, 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 to let you know. Listen, every time God wants to take you from where you are in any season of anything going on in your life, spirit, soul, or body, financially, with your health, whatever it is, He always begins with a word. He always begins with the Word. I know you have a lot of great word teaching here, so I'm not trying to, for some of you this may be review, and that's okay. But everything begins with a word. Now, it's not just any word. It's not just a wishful thinking word. It is a now word, a rhema word. It's a now word. So every time God wants to take you from where you are to where He wants you to be, it begins with the word. Then you have to, and I know you got teaching on this, but you got to hear it. Believe it, receive it, let it percolate, act on it, begin to speak it. Then you always got to let it die for a while because it doesn't happen yet. Visions for an appointed time, though it tarries, wait for it, it will come to pass. So you got to wait on it, trust God in it, and the Word will manifest. Listen, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled or moved into the neighbor. The Word came from heaven into earth realm. And when God wanted to birth His only begotten Son, He had to find a willing vessel named Mary to hear it, receive it, believe it, and let it percolate, let that baby cook for nine months. Are you hearing me? And so when God wants to do something in your life, you literally, when He wants to take you, when the Holy Ghost is trying to get you into the next season of your life in some part of your life, some aspect of your life, then He always begins with a word, and it has to, you have to choose whether to let that word percolate, whether it germinates inside. Peter says that we literally are born again by the seed of God, and the word there in the Amplified is the word sperma. We literally, every time you hear a preached word that is a rhema word, or you're reading the Bible for yourself, and it, is a, it lifts off the page, and you go, aha! Every time, that is God's DNA coming into your spirit. Are you getting that? But the problem is we look for them we like everything now, don't we? We like everything instant. And it just doesn't work that way. With the Holy Spirit, there's always a season where you've got to carry something, give birth to it. X marks the spot. Do you ever notice that almost every valuable natural resource in the whole earth has to be dug out of the ground? Whether it's gold, diamonds, platinum, silver, Uranium, titanium, oil, natural gas, even fresh water. You have to drill down. You know, listen, gold doesn't float on the surface of anything. Silver doesn't float. So everything, God shows us in this creation 
Did everything that's valuable, and the Bible says by Genesis chapter 3, and in that land where the two rivers came together, there was gold and it was good. But it wasn't floating. Everything valuable in your life and mine, we have to drill for. We have to dig for. We have to mine it. And that's why I begin with Proverbs chapter 2, where we're reminded in the Word, if you will esteem the Word of the living God as silver and gold, it's a buried treasure. And when you drill for it, you'll find it. The problem is that a lot of times, a lot, the next generation that we're raising up in our church, a lot of them that have been raised in our church now for 23 years don't know much about drilling because they get a fresh word like you do here every week. So they think it floats on the surface. We've got a bunch of our guys that are in college now, and they come back, oh, my gosh. Boy, is it different out there in other churches. We're looking. We thought because the church said they were spirit-filled, it was going to be like home. But we go there, and there's just, it's just, it's good, but it's not, it's not the same. And that's okay. Everything doesn't have to be the same. It's stylistically doesn't have to be the same. But understand, treasures don't float on the surface. You've got to have a heart to drill down together. Let me ask you this today. What's your appetite for buried treasure? What's your appetite? Because you can see in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies with Johnny Depp, you know, you can see conquistadors and pirates alike gave their lives for gold. I was just in Peru uh, just three weeks ago. And they have a lot of Incan treasures that are still buried down there. And they, and they still have things because of hundreds of years ago when the conquistadors came and basically tried to rape the land and just take gold and silver. And the Incans began to hide it. Because they were just, all they wanted, all the, all the conquistadors wanted was gold, bring us the gold. And I want you to know, God has treasure for you. God has gold for you. God has every resource you need to get you from where you are to where He wants you to be in not just the next season, but also every season of your life. Whether it's finances, whether it's, it's health and safety, whether it's freedom and deliverance, whether it's peace in your home and in your heart, whether it's relationships that have been out of order, I've come today to bring you somewhat of a, of a chiropractic adjustment in the Spirit and to tell you you'll never substitute for your own personal and corporate appetite for the Word of the living God. Job 23, Job says this. He said, I have not departed from the words of the commandment of God's lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. I don't know about you. I find myself, if I don't, if I don't keep my appetite peaked, if I don't stay hungry, a lot of times... Um, I can be a lot more hungry for food than I am the Word. But the promise is, when you see, Jeremiah 29, when, if you, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. What about the New Testament? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for God will be filled. Those who are hungry, if any man hungers, let him come to me. If any man's thirsty, let him come to me. I'll give you a drink from living waters. 
But the Bible says, out of, Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow living waters. And of this he spoke of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the anointing. God is a flowing God. But you've got to dig for the flow. Anybody remember the old, uh, the old well pumps? A few people on the front row, my friends, probably the people of my generation. Here we go. Remember those old pumps, you know? We had one at my, my, my mother grew up in New Jersey. We'd go up there every summer because my parents were both teachers, as I said, and we'd go to the old family homestead, and there was still a functional outhouse and a functional pump, but it would dry up, and I always want to say, show me daddy, 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 get the water, get the, get the pump going again. And the crazy thing that I remembered was that they had to take the very thing that we wanted, which was water, and pour it down there and give up the water you had to prime the pump. Then you had to pump it for a while, and sometimes we'd take turns. And sometimes we'd give up just before the thing would manifest, the water would actually come forth. It's a real picture of how God wants to take you forward in your, in your life from the season you're in to the season He wants you to be in. Can you say amen today? Are you awake? Am I preaching to the right people today? <clears throat> so, how do you go beyond the crowd? How do you get past? Listen, the Bible says to, to, to Moses, God made known his ways. To, to Israel, he made known his acts. The crowd always gets to know the actions of God. But people that want to press in always get to know the ways of God. Why he does, what he feels, what he thinks. If you're content with being part of the crowd here at Gates, then we love you. We bless you. We're glad you're here. But as this church moves from the season you've been in to the next season, it's going to take some people that are willing to do like the woman with the issue of blood that pressed through the crowd after she'd spent all she had for 12 years. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can have my healing. Somebody's got to be willing to go through the crowd and know more than just what God did last week. Because, see, the children of Israel saw the Red Sea parted. They saw everything. They saw all these miracles, but God was only as good as His last miracle. Every time they came to the next challenge, they forgot about the last miracle and said, well, what about now? What about now? Now we're hungry for meat. We, we know you're part of the Red Sea. We, know we saw water come out of a rock in the desert, but now we're hungry for meat. And God caused millions of Kentucky Fried Chickens to fly over and die simultaneously, fall at the feet. And if you read the Scriptures, they, the quail that gave their lives for hungry people were three feet deep. If you read the Scripture, they were three feet deep. God said, you want chicken? I'll give you chicken. You're tired of my food, huh? Tired of my manna? Tired of my daily bread, huh? I'll give you chicken. And then it rotted. They couldn't even eat it all. And it rotted. Made them sick. You, you can get what you're believing for. But you better recognize that what God wants you to believe for emanates and originates in His heart and with His Word. With His now Word to take you to the next season. So, I'm going to talk more tonight in a, you know, a little bit in a, in a, in a leaders meeting the pastor's asked me to do. But I want to, I want to drill down into this just just last few minutes that I've got. I want to read from Hosea chapter 10. Uh, if you uh, don't, uh, if you have your Bible with you and you don't know where Hosea is, it's probably that little passage where, where your pages are kind of stuck together from lack of use. 
Nobody really digs into Hosea very often. But um, God gave me this a few weeks ago in my spirit for this house. Hosea 10.11 says this, Ephraim is a trained heifer. Now, I don't have time to teach on heifers. You all got cowboys here. I don't need to do all that. But Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh the grain. But I harness her fair neck. I'll make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You've plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. I have five minutes to give you the whole fullness of this, but the bottom line is this. When you're digging for buried treasure, a now word, a fresh word from God, a rhema, you got to dig. And the Bible says that, the, that, that one of the tools God has given us to dig in the ground is, a, is something called Judah. Judah, Hosea 10 says, shall plow. When you have clods, when you have unfertile ground, when you have hardened soil, when you have unused, unfarmed land in your life, Judah shall plow. Now, most of you that are here for a while, you know Judah means praise. Judah's one of the tribes, and the Bible says Judah shall plow. Praise is the shovel that gets you to gold. Praise is the spade. It is the axe that gets you to silver. Praise is what gets you to oil. Praise gets you to the flow. But you have to drill down for it. And the problem is, in too many of our churches, people have a background like I do where, you know, in, in my Methodist and then Presbyterian background, we would come in and for some reason we would sing, you know, we'd sing a couple of hymns that were kind of scattered. And, you know, we'd come in and we'd sit down, then we'd stand up, then we'd sit down, we'd stand up. And, um, you know, the, 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 dude, the, the pastor dude had a robe and everything was formal. And so I sat up on the balcony when my, when, after Sunday school at the, at, the, at the Grand Station. I would go up to the balcony and make paper airplanes. Because we weren't plowing anything, we were just going through the motions, singing a song. See, Jesus said, this people worships me with their lips, but their hearts, million miles away. Their hearts are disconnected. See, John chapter 4, when Jesus talks to the woman of the well, he says, he says, listen, don't be so concerned with the geography of where God says to worship. It's not about geography. God, the Father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the message says he, God is looking for people who will be engaged in their spirit in the pursuit of truth. Engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. So that means if you come here and you're just reading words on the screen, you know, we used to have a thing at Benny Hinn's Church. It was a song back in the charismatic days called We Bring the Sacrifice of Praise. We called it affectionately the windshield wiper song because we would go, anybody, anybody from those days, we'd go, um, we bring the sacrifice of praise, yeehaw, to the palace of the Lord. And then we go, and we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And so we would do the windshield wiper song. And we did almost every week, the three and a half years I was with Benny Hinn. And... Um, so the problem is then we start teaching people and conditioning them. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Pastor Bert? You start conditioning people that praise and worship is like we used to do back in the old church, which is 
Let's stand and sing hymn number 143 from the first, the second, and the last stanza. I don't know why they even put verse 3 and 4 in most of those hymns. We never sung them. Anybody can relate to this? We never sung them anyway. And for the love of God, we didn't even know what we were singing in the first place. Bringing in the sheaves to me, I thought I was bringing in the sheets. I didn't know. I thought I was, I was a bedwetter. I was used to mom hanging my sheets out. To, uh, I, I, you know, I'd bring it in the sheets. I don't know. I didn't know. But if you're... But if you're just reading words on a screen, you know, we're no better than the old church because we just, we just read the words on the screen. You're not plowing anything. You're not digging anything if you just come through. And the problem is we condition the people then that the praise and worship in our kinds of churches is kind of like, um, anybody like boxing? You know, the undercard in boxing you know, you get, you get two guys that are about 110 pounds soaking wet, and they just beat the snot out of each other for, you know, for, for about 10 rounds, getting ready for the heavyweight title bout at the end. So they have all these guys on the undercard. And so what we do is inadvertently we condition people not to understand that praise is the plow that gets them the fresh word they seek. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, not having heard. Now, see, we're conditioned there, therefore, we, oh, pastor says, I'm going to talk about Daniel, the book of Daniel today. We go, okay, lion's den, felt board, uh, I already know that one. Switch off. wonder what we're having for lunch. Come on. Am I talking to real people here or what? Maybe this is only in Florida I'm talking about, but anyway, so what happens is we get people conditioned that praise and worship is the time to sneak in late. And we just kind of slip in because it's just the preliminary. It's just the, it's just the, it's just the lightweights duking it out. The, the first thing I learned from Benny Hinn was this and had to learn it pretty quick. The Holy Spirit moves in atmospheres that you build for His presence by lifting up Jesus. And praise is a plow. Praise. Listen, when Elisha is found on the scene to become the man of the double portion, Elijah finds him with 12 yoke of oxen plowing his parents' field. Faithful and little, faithful and much. I love what you said. He's playing 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24, 24 beasts. I don't know about you. I've seen the old, you know, the old shows where they got a plow horse or a plow mule or something, and they got one or two. This guy's plowing twenty-four. How many know that's some serious plowing? To me, twenty-four in the scripture must indicate twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. It must be full time. It means something. Twenty-four. He's got twenty-four bulls, and that guy is plowing some ground. And he, and then Elijah goes. Here's my coat. Here's the mantle of anointing. Here's the, here's the anointing coming on your life. God can trust people who plow. God can trust plowmen. He can trust people to plow. Listen, praise always comes before the fresh anointing. We've got to know that praise precedes. It is not the preliminary bout. It is round one of the main event. 
So if you're coming in and praise and worship, and you think that worship is the slow songs and praise is the fast songs, you don't understand. Listen, the difference between praise and worship is not tempo. Just between, between praise and worship is praise honors God's actions, what He did, what He's doing for you, and worship honors God's presence for who He is if He never did another thing for you except go to the cross. So, so you know, we bring in our, you know, the old club days mentality into the church, and we think praise is, I'm going to boogie, oogie, oogie, get down. And, then, you know, we, we, you know, in the 70s, all we did was stay alive. That's all I'll tell you. And so, so, so we'd come in and we, you know, we do. And all of a sudden, when my wife and I started dating, we were 17, lights would change. They'd play always and forever, each moment. We, and I looked at my girl, now married 33 years. I looked at my girl and I say, come on, baby, let's get closer. Because we knew that the slow songs were the time to get close. In, in the spirit realm, it's not about that. It's about getting past. Listen, praise is the plow. Worship is finding a place of intimacy at the level you plowed to. It's finding that his presence now. Listen, my grandson, when I said I'm going to Texas the other day, we went swimming. I've been teaching him to swim. And we went swimming Thursday night. I uh, left here to come here Friday. And my grandson said, like his mama used to do when she was little, my grandson said, I don't want you to go. I said, Papa, you don't have to go to Texas. I, was gonna, I said, well, I'll call Pastor Bert and just cancel. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah I, I, it's hard for me to leave you. But when I got home from Peru three weeks ago, he hugged on to me, Papa, I'm so glad you're home. And he cuddled with me for a couple of minutes, and then he said, what'd you bring me? I said, doggone, they learn early, don't they, you know? We get, we get so uh, enthralled with what God does for us that we miss out on just loving on Him. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I don't want you to go. I want your presence. The plow comes before the Word. Are you plowing? God wants to take this house corporately and individually into a brand new season. God sent me with a word for you that you're, that you're about to leave an old thing, an old season. And you're about to come into a brand new season of God and He is sending me with a word. And whether you believe and receive it or not is really up to you. I'll finish with this story. Most of you know the story, and I'll, I'll pray in just a second. Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20, most of you know the story. Jehoshaphat uh, finds out, the king finds out that Israel's surrounded on three sides. They've been cut off from their supplies. They got no food, they got no water, they got nothing. And they hear of this ambush that's being sent by these three other nations, and, the, and basically it's over for Israel. It looks like it's curtains, it looks like it's done. They got nothing, they got no food, they got no gold, they got no silver, they got nothing left. Jehoshaphat the king calls for a solemn assembly and said, we're going to seek God. We got no choice. If we don't seek, if God doesn't show up now, we're in deep. You know what? And the, and the, and the psalmist, the prayer, praise warrior, the one who takes the message of the house and brings it forth in music, one of the ones that 
came from the lineage of the guys that David himself trained. Has a word, says, listen, God says we don't need to fight with guns and knives. I mean, they didn't have guns back then, but you know what I'm talking about. you You don't need to fight with bombs in this battle, but stand still and see the salvation Lord who's with you. For thus says the Lord, you're going to send in the praisers first. You're going to send in the plowmen. You're going to send in the people just to praise and to worship God in advance and then watch what God will do. They didn't even know what God's going to do. Josaphat has the sense. He stands up. He says, can I tell you something, folks? Believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be established. You're going to stand your ground. Believe his prophets. Believe his messengers that come with the word, and you shall prosper. You shall accomplish the purpose for which you were sent. You shall fulfill everything God said. You shall come into a new season. They send the praise and worship team, and all they sing is a very simple song. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. You can read it in one of the Psalms. It's powerful. Between every, between every verse of, uh, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever, it says, and he annihilated the enemy and cut off their heads. But he is good, and his mercy endures forever. I mean, you know, God's mercy toward us sometimes involves him being ruthless to our enemies. I don't mean people. I mean spirits, darkness. Sends in the praise and worship team. See, a lot of pastors think that that's about sending in the praise and worship team to sacrifice them to slaughter first so I can go in and just bring the word. <laughs> just send in the worship team. Uh, you know, just waiting to get to my part. No, this is all part of the same journey that we're on today. And what happens is, they come in, they sing. The enemy comes in to destroy them and gets so confused that they start fighting each other and they destroy each other so that not one soldier is left from any of the three nations that attack them. And when Jehoshaphat and the people come up behind the praise and worship team, they come in and the Bible says it took them three days to collect all the booty, all the bounty, all the treasure, all the stuff. It took them three days. They went from having nothing No food, not even enough food. They came from being surrounded in a situation that looked like certain death. And suddenly they're transported through their praise into a place of insurmountable breakthrough and takes them three days to pick up all the gold. You can read it. All the gold, all the weapons, all the silver, all the clothing, all the stuff. It takes them three days to collect the treasure. Ladies and gentlemen, this house, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, the past few years, we've all been through some stuff, okay? We've all been through it. It's been a tough time economically for our nation. But right now, God wants to take this church forward into a season of great deliverance and great abundance. But you've got to be one of those who just doesn't just settle for what the crowd sees and goes, yay, praise the Lord. That was a good word. That was a good word, Pastor. We're glad you're here for a good word. But if you're not hearing the same thing somebody else did, you might not have plowed. And don't blame the worship team. These guys are doing a tremendous job. I'm so excited for this praise and worship team. God, I'll talk more about this tonight, but God is a flowing God. It's all about flow. And I want to finish with this. Are you in the flow for the next season or are you in the way? Are you the blockage? Or are you ready to flow? 
into the next season of what God wants to do to birth this church into becoming a governmental church in the spirit in this territory to another dimension, to another level. Your influence is about to increase. Your finance, increase. Your, your, your ability to reach the lost, increase. Your ability to reach unchurched, unsaved, young people in the next generation, it's all going to increase. But if you're willing, ah, I, don't, I don't care about that. That's already loud. Sorry, I, I don't come early because it's loud. You silly plowman. The Bible says, he that will not plow, that refuses to plow in the summer is going to starve at the harvest. But we're coming to a season where the plowman is going to overtake the reaper. You're going to see it coming, popping, 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 but you got to get ready for it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord today. I ask you to take this church, every family, every couple, every individual, every person in this ministry, every person that's here, every person that's connected that may be on vacation this week for whatever reason, I ask you, Lord, to let your word come and permeate and penetrate and take us forward in the name of Jesus. We declare that this place has an open openness, an openness to the heavens, an openness to search for God, to go for treasure. Lord, we want your now word. We need you, Jesus, to come and to take us. We need a fresh anointing. We need more water. We need more oil. We need more meat. We need more bread. We need more everything from you, Father. Give us an appetite. Give us an appetite for treasure. Give us an appetite, a thirst for knowledge, not just information, but revelation. 